Welcome to Winging It in Motown Radio. I'm your host, Jeff, joined by JJ and Kyle. Gentlemen, it's been a interesting week. How are you guys? I'm okay. Best week ever. That's- I said that last time I hosted, so I don't know if you're lying or... I'm always lying. I, uh, it's all uphill every week. It's the best <laughs> week so far, but I know that next week is going to be even better. There we go. That's that positivity that we love. Uh, speaking of positivity, not much positive vibes coming from the Red Wings after their last two games. Um, I think we just kind of do a little rewind, take a look at the week that was. Uh, I guess we'll start with number two, bullet point A on JJ's rundown here. Uh, A, win versus lightning. Uh, that was the high point of the week, and I enjoyed that win. But gentlemen, uh, what were your thoughts? We'll start with JJ. Yeah, I thought it was uh, just about the perfect game to play against a team that's uh, high-skilled and also coming off of playing their... Uh, there was a fourth, their third game in four nights, and they had played Boston the previous afternoon. So uh, they came in tired, and I think the Red Wings really... Uh, they didn't look very great for the, ne- for the first 10 minutes, but then they spent the next 50 looking pretty great. Um, they got the, the lead in the game, and then they just kind of... They poured it on in the third. Like, it wasn't exactly pouring it on, but they really wore the lightning down. They pushed the pace the way they wanted it to. Um, Jimmy Howard took the shutout into the the 51st minute of the game. So, yeah, I was real happy with with the performance against the lightning. I was was very happy with it um, because I was at the game. Um, So that was awesome. Uh, But, yeah, I think they played a really, really good game. Obviously, against a really good team, uh, you know they got a little bit of that revenge uh, from from uh, you know last last year, which I don't really remember because uh, it never really happened. So um, it, it, I think it was a good game from pretty much all points of of all aspects of the team. You know, offense played well, uh, defense did a really good job, um, and then obviously Jimmy was really good too. So. Um, it was good. Uh, special teams were good too. Uh, I can't remember if we had a power play goal in that game. I don't think we did. Um, yeah. Yep. Oh, the Nike was called then. Okay. I remember because I, I thought that goal was awesome. Um, uh, the penalty kill was really great too. Granted, the uh, Tampa power play is actually hot garbage, but um, still uh, an impressive outing for the uh, the boys in red, and uh, it was very encouraging to see. Well, as encouraging as that game was. The next game, once again <laughs> against Carolina, you could call it discouraging because yeah. they didn't get off to a great start once again, and this time they weren't over able to overcome it. Uh, falling to Carolina, it just overall impressions from that one. Uh, go ahead, JJ. Oh, shit, I got to start. Jeez, yeah. Um, I mean, you knew going into the day, they were saying Brock McGinn is getting his first NHL game against the Red Wings, and so everybody figured, okay, he's getting his first NHL goal mm-hmm. against the Red Wings, because that's how it happens. And then less than a minute in, on just the most broke-ass looking play, um, they just, because Abdicator ha- is taking it out of the zone, and Erickson is jumping up to get numbers up, um, and what is a good decision right up until Abdelkader turns it over as the last man back. McGinn comes mm-hmm. in, he's got Versteeg coming with him, and Cronwall has to respect the pass, and Jimmy gives up a bad rebound, and McGinn puts it in, and then like from there, it's just it's just shit. 
So <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I mean, they went up. Carolina was up three to nothing before the second period was halfway over, and then the Red Wings got that that Nyquist goal, and mm-hmm. then they got the Shan goal like sixty seconds later, and so it feels like, oh hell yes, they've turned it on. This is the game. There, this is going to be embarrassing for Carolina. Uh, but they couldn't quite get that third goal. Um, right. They came out of the third, like, f- forgot what they were doing, gave up a, a goal at Chris Versteeg, and then just kind of just kind of lost control. Like, I had a, a feeling, like, I keep going back to the Nashville game right before the Winter Classic in Ann Arbor, where the Red Wings just, like, Datsuk is trying to carry the team, but they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. That's what this game kind of felt kind of like. Like, it was, it should have been a comeback. It was a, a winnable game despite the numerous numerous mistakes and they just they couldn't get it done and it was a yeah a real failing of the team yeah it was uh it was certainly one of those games where i mean and here's the thing about carolina is that everybody really pegs them as a bad team i don't think they're a bad team i think they have good players um you know their defense is a little iffy but you know they have justin falk who is really good um i I don't know. It's not, and I'm not trying to make excuses for the Red Wings because they beat Tampa, who is a really good team. Uh, they came back and they and they and they beat that same Carolina team. Um, I, I just think that it was. Uh, I don't even really know how to ex- describe that game. They just kind of fell flat when they needed to go when they weren't supposed to. Um, you know, because they had that Shan goal, uh, the uh, the goals by uh, was it Shan and Nyquist. Yeah. yeah, it was Nyquist um, and Chan. Um, and it was just like, you know, you, you felt like this, you know, the score effects were starting to kick in, which is a crappy thing to depend on, but it, it, whatever. Um, and it just kind of fizzled out from there, and it was very, like, the, the, the team kind of deflated. Uh, and it was just really, <laughs> you know, it was the first loss of the season. The team was, like, going 3-1, and 3-1-0. But at the same time, it was just like, this really sucks <laughs> to be going out like this because um, Carolina is a team, regardless of what players they have right now, that the Red Wings should be beating uh, with ease like they have been over the, the past, multi, you know, a long, like a very long time. So um, that just kind of set up the, um, the trend that came into the next game against Montreal. Uh, and I guess uh, we can move into that unless, Jeff, you want to give your thoughts on the Carolina game. Uh, I, after it was 3 nothing, I was producing that night. Ah, yeah. And I said, uh, the night, I'll put it nicely, screw this, I have too much work to do, and I shut the game <laughs> off. So even when they made it 3-2, I didn't turn it back on. Ah, smart. Uh, so that is my analysis. Um <laughs> With Montreal, obviously I was a little hyped up for that one. I was hoping the Wings, heading into Carolina, hoping they could have won that game and then set up the uh, Battle of the Undefeateds in, in Montreal. But Yeah, that would have been cool. That was not the case. And I think we just jump right into the whole Gallagher goal. I mean, that was, I mean, you, you got the goal from Larkin early. Everyone's excited. And then the Gallagher goal happens. Well, and, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. It, it was just like, you had that you saw that Larkin goal when I saw that goal happen I was so pumped up because a you know it's Larkin we're all excited so anytime he does something sweet it's just like hell yeah and then um you know it was you know it put us up one to nothing against an undefeated team 
So, you know, it was very, uh, very encouraging. And then that goddamn Gallagher goal happened. And uh, it, at first I was like, you know, they went to review it or whatever. And I was like, no way. Um, but then I realized they weren't reviewing goaltender interference. They were just they were just reviewing uh, if it was kicked in or not, right? Well, now and to clarify, and JJ, you might have the exact answer here. Yeah, they can't review goaltender interference no, unless can't. it's a coach's challenge. Correct. That is correct. So the but, only thing they yeah. could look at was. But to be fair, I mean, and I, I said this on Twitter. I don't know if it's real because I really don't know the rules like like I should right now. But um, they, like Blashill couldn't challenge the play that was under review is that correct no he could have here's okay. here's one truth and then one one follow-up um yes the they could not have put that play under review for goaltender interference what they could have done is have all four of those assholes wearing stripes get together and say hey do you think the guy sliding feet first and the goalie may have impeded his ability to make a stop yes i think that okay we're going to wave it off on goaltender interference and then let my michelle Terrian say no, I want to challenge that, and then take a look at it. That's not what they did. They decided to not call goaltender interference, was which was the absolute wrong call from the right. get-go, regardless of, of whether or not we've got any coaches challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, My I, understanding I, I, is yeah. that Blashill could have challenged for goaltender interference after the review about whether it was a good goal, uh-huh. but um, I think it was uh, Friedman who said this, right? Uh, basically, the referee who made the announcement said, we reviewed the play. The goal went in before contact without yeah. kicking. It was a good goal. And the fact that he said before contact essentially makes it sound like do not challenge us. We have already made our decision about whether right. or not this was goaltender interference. Yeah. Um, Blasha was asked about it. He said uh, no comment. Uh, we're taking it as far as we as far as we're concerned. That's an internal thing with the league. We're going to take it up with them. I don't have anything to say about it. So it's not clear whether or not he was told he could challenge. But it's pretty clear he was essentially told not to challenge. Don't waste and, uh, your time because you're not going to win. Yeah, so it was it was bullshit stacked stacked on top of bullshit. Right. It, it was it was one of those plays where <laughs> they scored, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Uh, there's, I mean, it, that is the flukiest goal ever. And then when you know you see the replay, and then you you know it, watching the game. And then you watch, you know, you see that they're reviewing it. And you're like, ah, there's no way it counts. There's no way. And then they announced that it did. And I was like, it, it just me being the pessimist that I am. I was like, we're not winning. There's no way we're winning this game. And it, 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 you can call me a homer for it. But when that asshole referee stood in front of, you know, in, in front of, you know, where he needs to do to make his announcement and started speaking in French, I just went like, you got to be fucking kidding me right now and like it's just a homer thing for me and you know i was just being you know a ridiculous fan but it it was just so um so perfect it was just because when you think about it it, of all people of all players brendan gallagher in montreal like it you 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 couldn't draw it up more perfectly uh and i just i i was so angry in the moment yeah let's not forget the the play that put them on that power play that they scored on was P.K. Subban knocking down Justin Abdicator and giving him two shots to the back of the head and then uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly comes and skates by and gives Abdicator a little bump and so Abdicator like reaches up and pushes him in the back of the shoulder and gets a roughing call for it. I don't remember that just because yeah I mean but 
I, I, I don't doubt that that's exactly what happened because Montreal uh, typical exactly in Montreal and, and you know anybody who wants to argue against that I mean the only people who argue against that stuff are people who aren't Montreal fans um, there is such a hometown bias there and I don't care what anybody says it will always be that way and um, whatever it, it was it, you know it was game. It game five of the regular season so whatever who cares I'm not going to sit there and, and just let it ruin my week but it definitely uh, wasn't very much fun um, and it just kind of ruined my experience as a fan so whatever yeah I mean it was crap because we got one power play in the first that was off of a bad call yeah. Simmons slashing against the Kaiser I, yeah, I didn't that see him slash awful. at all yeah. whatever but we didn't get another one until after they had scored that goal um and there had been a lot of stuff that had gone on. But regardless of that, the Red Wings went on to lose 4-1. to one. And that's what really – it pisses me off because you don't know what would have happened had the call gone the right way. Right. I don't know if they still would have lost 4-1. to one. I don't know if they would have lost 3-1. to one. I don't know if they would have lost 2-1. to one. I don't know if they would have gone on to win 5 to nothing because that exact mm-hmm. moment in time is the end of, of whatever you can say. You can't say that the rest of the game goes exactly the same way right. if you cut this one piece out. So – Whatever, but I can say that the Red Wings had every right to be angry and to take it out on the Canadians, and they spent the next ten minutes of that game on their heels, and that mm-hmm. pisses me off. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I don't even know really what to say. It, it, it was uh, it just kind of like that goal just kind of threw everything up in the air. I didn't know what to expect after that, and you know what actually were, was happening were, was going to happen was actually really bad you know seemed like um i don't know i was just it was like the the carry price show after that cuz i honestly think after that goal nothing really about montreal really impressed me at all so uh much like most games we play against montreal so so a week ago we were here at least some jj and i were and we were giddy as health undefeated start larkin 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 Week later, Wings lose two out of three. Just a lot of, I don't know if there's a lot of doom and gloom because it's so early into the season, but just overall impressions. I mean, you've seen the good, you've seen the bad. Where are you guys feeling we're at right now based off the eye test and even looking at your numbers? Um, Personally, I'm not going to go doom and gloom right now because I think it's way too early. Uh, Give me until at least like January. Uh, maybe maybe December. American uh, it, Thanksgiving. It, it, yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, even then, I feel a little too soon. But um, the, like, you you got to think about it. You you have an entirely new system, a new coach, um, a bunch of players who have played all of their career, most of their career, under one coach. Um, there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some uh, trial and error. Uh, they have been. Really, I, and it feels like, and this is this could just be my opinion, but it seems like at times or at most times they're it seems like they're gripping the stick too hard uh, when they're when they're getting when they're either entering the zone or they're you know getting into the like you know the offensive zone. It feels like they're just not. Uh, it feels like they're like literally gripping the stick too hard and passes aren't connecting right and it's you know it's flubbing or something like that. Um, I think it's just growing pains, and I think that they got away with the three and zero start because they played Toronto, who is really bad, and then they, you know, they stole one from um, 
uh, uh, Carolina, and then they came out and they played really well against Tampa, which was great. I don't, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from that, you know, but um, I think that there is definitely going to be some growing pains like we're going through right now, and, uh, you know, it'll work itself out. Maybe they go out and they lose against Edmonton on Wednesday. I'm not going to freak out. Uh, It's okay if they do. Um, yeah, here's some of the numbers for you. It's the Red Wings have played 15 periods of hockey so far in the Jeff Blashill era. So mm-hmm. yeah, obviously, like like Kyle just said, maybe let's give it a little bit of time. There's 22 games in before American Thanksgiving, and that is generally recognized as the uh, playoff cutoff. You'll you'll hear Ken and Mick talk about it uh, a lot as we get closer to that. But that's like if you're not in a playoff situation by then, your chances of making the playoffs. Uh, are pretty low you get one or two teams every year that challenge or even make it but really if you want to be comfortable with your playoff chances the first quarter of the season you need to you need to have a good start so yeah we'll we'll get there but in 15 periods of play how many times do you think the red wings have gotten double digit shots three uh it's probably less i'm gonna say one take the average the answer is two okay Second period against Carolina and the third period against Carolina in the the earlier game. Their high end shots this year is twenty four. They are garbage at creating shots and they're allowing like thirty three a game. Obviously, the forty seven shots against uh, Carolina kind of skewed that number, but really their lowest allowed is I think twenty against Tampa. No, twenty one. They allowed twenty one to Tampa, uh, the tired team, and they allowed twenty two. Um, to Toronto in the in the season opener where we dominated Toronto and that's mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't want to to take away from that that was a we jumped out to four to nothing lead and we still didn't let them get tw- more than 25 shots off that was beautiful um but it feels like in the absence of that like you know they're gripping their sticks too hard in the absence of the the comfort with the the changes that that Blashill is trying to make um when they're unsure they are reverting to the Babcock system and that's creating a lot of the trouble, a lot of the, I think that's creating a lot of the looking like they're holding their sticks too hard or, or not getting the passes to complete crisply. Uh, they're not getting the passes up to their sticks on time. And just all those little things keep them from getting the puck into the zone with speed like they did against Toronto. Mm-hmm. And without that, they're getting in one and done and then they have to go back and defend. And they're falling back into that shell of trying to uh, prevent shots like, like Babcock did because it, last season the other team would have the puck in our zone for ages but mm-hmm. they couldn't get a good shot attempt off well, this, right. time, this time they're kind of finding those holes too but I think those are all just adjustments the team is making and falling back on old habits is something that's going to take a little while to get used to um, the defense is supposed to be a little more active and a little bit more uh, a little bit more willing to jump up and I think as they're doing the you're going no excuse me no you go first oh sorry that shit is taking a tenth of a second, and if you're a tenth of a second late in hockey, you may as well be ten minutes late because that's that's how bad it'll burn you that quickly. So, shit will come around. I'm not gonna. My eyebrows are raised at this. Yeah. But I'm not panicking. If I, if we'd was, have done this, yeah. if we'd have recorded this yes uh, Sunday afternoon, I probably would be saying a lot more bad words. But. Right. Exactly. That's how I felt like after the game on um, against Montreal. Um, it was just like, Jesus, this team is not producing shots. They're not producing offense. The power play isn't clicking like it should be. Um, it, it, this is a problem. And now that I think about it now and, and I've settled down, it's like, you know, you put in perspective. The team is going through a major change right now. Um, 
And you should really like, and you know, when you look at things like, um, look at the way like they are playing this way right now and it's mainly because i think essentially the red wings have one line that is pulling them and that is the first line that is the the larkin and zetterberg combination um which is really uh which is which is encouraging to me because the the team needs zetterberg to play well um and larkin has been like the straw that stirs the drink and um you know, it's 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 crazy to say, but with with the underperforming that they've had, Larkin has really kind of put a band aid over that for me. Um, he's just he's really added so much excitement. Um, and I think if maybe they can make a couple more changes, uh, do a little bit more adjusting, they could just go right back to where they picked off and uh, picked up off of, and they could uh, they could be a good team. They could be a contender. I I mean I think that the Atlantic is better this year. Um, obviously but again it's only it's only after the you know we're talking right after the first week of the nhl season so we don't know what could happen um teams like florida could fall off uh teams like you know like uh um, tampa they could pick up and start start playing well again and then teams like montreal they could really just just bottom out so we don't know what could happen anything can change on the turn of dime um, so I'm not, I'm not jumping, you know, on the fire sale wagon yet. Um, and w- we'll see what happens. Uh, but you know, I went into the season thinking this could be a, a growing pain season for the organization. You know, there's a lot that changed. Uh, and I don't think people really realize that yes, Blashell's a good coach, but, um, you know, I, I, he's, he's a rookie coach, so we don't know if he's going to perform like, like how, uh, Babcock did. So, you know, in, in the moment I will freak out and be mad, but you know, when I, when I have a day to think about it, I, I'll be okay. Uh, you mentioned Blasio being a rookie coach, uh, another rookie on the team, Dylan Larkin. We were singing his praises last week. You briefly mentioned how that, that, that top line with him and Zetterberg and Ablicator is, has been the only line really producing. Just seeing him for three more games, watching him continue to prove he belongs in the NHL. Just is there anything different you're seeing this week than you saw last week, or or, or just your overall impressions of of, of the kid? Um, well, what I saw from him in like uh, training camp uh, and liter- like literally at every level that I watched him play at last year, NCAA, World Juniors, World Championship, AHL, it all translated over, and it is doing the same you know to the nhl granted he's probably going to hit a skid and he's not going to score for you know 15 games or something like that and people are going to freak out um i think that this kid is the real deal i think you know and he's not it's crazy to say this because it's such a sample size but um he's not a player that should be in the bottom six I think they made the they good they made the good call at putting him right in the top top situation there with a Zetterberg and Advocator. So um, I think if anything, I'm way more impressed by him now uh, that he has been so mature. He plays a mature game. He plays like a veteran um, and he just, he seems to be in the right spot at the right time and he plays well, he plays fast and he makes the players around him better. Like I've been saying for the last year, Uh, he he has made Henrik Zetterberg a better hockey player, which is good, which is good because we need him to be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's out there against good competition. Yeah. And he's still doing well. Dylan Larkin in 
five games on a team that has trouble generating shots has 14 of those. So, right. And they're and not, it's not that he's just like throwing garbage out there, although he's willing to. And that's what I love. He, is that yeah, he'll he's, just he'll whip it at the net, like even not even looking. I love that about him. Yeah, he's <laughs> got it dangerous too. Yeah, what, like Jeff. I thought Jeff was going to say something. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's throwing them in, in good angles to create havoc, too. It's not just yeah. maybe I'll just float this at the guy's chest and, and see what happens. Like, he, like, he's got a dangerous shot. He's not afraid to shoot it low to make it bounce off of pads um, to get somebody else going there. So that's the kind of stuff that, that just creates plays. Um, and that's that's the thing. Zetterberg's got two goals and only four shots on goal. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like really the guy who's who's creating that is is Larkin. He's just out there shooting it from anywhere, and it's not doing the it's not creating the one and done shots like uh, we're getting somewhere else. Because I I think that one of the things about Larkin is that those shots he's not afraid to hit the goalie um, in trying to get it to go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, and I'm, I'm going to pick on Tamu Polkan here because he's he's taking a lot of shit. Although he's got 13 shots in five games. Um, one of the things that about him is he's got a wonderful wrister and a, a cannon of a, of a slapper, um, but he's he keeps missing it high. He's got a little uh, little Michael Samuelson in him, and that's <laughs> it's it's helping create transition the other way. And it's like I don't want him to not shoot, but I do want him to hit his damn target, and it, that that's going to come. It's going to happen. Right. But uh, when Larkin does it, he just he does it better. He just does it better, and he's nineteen, and you should feel jealous of him. Yeah, that's the thing about Larkin is that he it right now is playing against tougher competition than um, uh, Nyquist or Tatar saw when they when they made their their big leap. Um, uh, and that's kind of a you know obviously it's different because Tatar and Nyquist weren't first round picks, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, it's just the statement that Larkin has made. Um, and honestly, like as a person who lives in uh, the area where Larkin grew up, um, the effect and excitement that hits put on the community here, uh, it's remarkable. It's really cool. I've never seen it before. Um, you know, you have like bars and like pubs around around town that have like, you know, stuff up that says go Lar- go Dylan and stuff. Uh, and that's just really cool to see, uh, see a, a city um not only, you know, excited about a hockey team, but excited about, you know, a local kid who is who is, you know, doing what so many others couldn't do in this city for a very, very long time. So um, it's really cool, man. Um, I uh, I really like Dylan Larkin, and um, he should never play another game in the AHL ever for the rest of his career. Uh, speaking of the AHL, Michelle mentioned this. I, I believe it was Michelle earlier in, in a chat we got, we were having. Uh, the Red Wings schedule, kind of a, an AHL type of schedule we've been seeing this season so far. You know, you, Wings open up Friday, Saturday, back-to-back. You have the one game against Tampa, then last weekend, back-to-back, Carolina and Montreal. Now you got a game against Edmonton coming up, and you're going back-to-back again, all on the road, Western Canada, Calgary, and Vancouver. And then looking ahead even more, the following Friday and Saturday, another back-to-back with Ottawa. Very AHL-type schedule. Uh, we we kind of touched on the, the shots for, against, and just, just the... The, the the play the wings have had recently. Do do you guys think the schedule has any kind of contribution to that? I know it's early, so they shouldn't be tired, or maybe because it's early, they don't have their legs under them yet. So the second night, they might be a little little slower reacting to everything. But just just your expectations with the schedule and how things have played out. Um, 
I don't think so. Uh, I do agree that they have had a very AHL style start to the season, but I think a lot of that has a, a, a lot a lot to do with the fact that they are traveling the least out of any team um, this year. You know, so you know, I think the NHL's got to kind of make up for that in a way. But um, I, it's really tough to say. Uh, I don't know if they if you know all the shot generation that they've had or lack thereof. Um, I don't know if that has to do with being tired, but it certainly could. I mean, it's that's something that we'll never really know because nobody ever asks questions like that um, in terms of Detroit media. So, um, but it, it certainly could be a factor. Um, I do think that they have had a really, really bad uh, habit of coming out flat-footed. Um, you know, not that that should be uh, surprising, but you know they they've kind of always done that on back to backs or something like that. So, yeah, I mean it could it could be a factor, but then again, we'll never know for sure. JJ, JJ, sorry, I was muted again. I'm fucking bad at that. Um, <laughs> I, I I do I do think it plays in, and yeah, it, it is obviously not a well. They're they're tired. Uh, you know how how can you be tired? The season just started. Um, you, you can be because it's not. Because they're not kind of used to the the grind yet, they haven't gotten into that right. zone where it's it's something you're used to. Game show. I mean the the two games where they have allowed the most shots, forty seven and forty one, are the Saturday games where they've played. Um, they allowed you know twenty two in the season opener when they were as well rested as you're ever going to get. They allowed mm-hmm. twenty four to Tampa on on Tuesday, and then they allowed thirty six to Carolina on on Friday. Um, those are the, your your restful games are the three out of five games where you've allowed the fewest shots. So I, I think that, that there is something to it, but um, honestly, you just got to suck it up. Although the, the schedule maker, the jokester they are, have us in Edmonton on Thursday and then back-to-back Calgary and then Vancouver. You couldn't, yeah. give, us, you couldn't give us Vancouver on Wednesday and then like keep us in Alberta over the weekend? No, that's I mean, obviously it's not that huge of a deal, but it's still stupid. Um, I mean, every team is going to go through those those kind of things. Um, honestly, it's it's just they're going to have to deal with it. They're going to have to find a way to to make it effective, especially against uh, Vancouver. That's the the worrisome game there because I don't think the Canucks are playing the night before. Um, I mean, you get into the next weekend, the Halloween weekend, and Ottawa's in the exact same boat we are, so that doesn't really matter. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it makes a difference, but um, if if I had to tie it in like a factor of, of why they've gotten outplayed in at least three out of their five games, I, I'd, I'd give it half and half between making the adjustments that they're making and that kind of the weird schedule. Yeah, I, I agree on that. Sticking yeah, with... I mean, Vancouver the, is rested, by the way. They're, they're playing Washington on Thursday. In Vancouver? Yeah. Of course. Sticking with the... the the awkward schedule, I guess I'll just say. We've seen some guys in and out of the the, the roster or the the lineup, I should say. Uh, you saw Helm come back, the Kaisers come back. We saw Anderson get a game. Yurko's been out. Just, I guess, what have your overall impressions been of of what we've seen as, in regards to the lineup? I mean, personally, I would probably put Yurko in. Uh, over Ferraro on that fourth line. And granted, it's the fourth line. He's probably better served somewhere else or playing a different type of role. We've also lost Franzen. He is, his headaches have come back. And I, I will just say a small aside, and I think I said this to JJ, uh, 
earlier in the week, I guess if, if Franzen's going to be out and the concussion symptoms are all going to return, at the very least, it, at least it happened just headaches coming back and you didn't get rocked and get like marks of right. or something and and yeah. just an ugly visual incident on the ice. So so I guess if we take solace in anything, it's that. But just as far as who Blasio's putting in the lineup and who he's not and where they're slated, just what have you liked or disliked so far? Um, I've dis well, I've said that I disliked it. Um, but now it's kind of they kind of <laughs> fixed it today. Uh, as Brad Richards on the second line as the second line center, uh, I don't think he's I don't think he's fast enough to do that anymore. Um, I think uh, y- you know you have to put somebody else there, and uh, they 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 practice today, and now Shan is playing second line center, which I like more. Um, granted, Shan hasn't been that impressive so far, but. Um, he's younger. Um, he's got less miles on him. Uh, and, you know, Shane's not quick by any means, but he's, you know, I think he's better suited for it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's a big one for me. Yeah. Are you okay? I'm sorry. You said he's got less miles on him, and I all I can think of is, like, LSU's coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. I apologize for screwing up our program, our fine program. What are your thoughts, JJ? Other than college coaches? <laughs> no, I uh, I agree that that Richards. It's it's too bad. And I wrote this in the the thoughts of the last recap. Is that Brad Richards has lost a step from his heyday, and it's really too bad because he hasn't lost his hockey IQ. And so you know, out when he's out there, like he knows what he's supposed to be doing, and he's got the hands to still do things at full speed. It's just his full speed has changed to a, a full step slower. Um, I'm hoping that he makes, uh, you know, he's making the adjustments to kind of be better defensively at the, the cost of offense because he's not creating a lot of that. Um, the chemistry with Tatar hasn't really come. I think that Blashill trying out the Tatar-Richards-Glendenning line was just weird. I, I don't know if he was trying to kind of shelter helm until he found out like how helm was feeling but they went with that line for for too long and i don't want glenn denning on what is supposed to be a scoring line but the red wings have got to find a way to get secondary scoring right um so like i don't i want yurko in the lineup i don't know who i push out of there we've got polkanen's got three goals already and a lot of people myself included haven't been terribly impressed with his play in open play like he's getting to the front of the net and like tipping pucks in and he's got the the one goal off of uh ron hainsey passing it right to him but he's not moving the puck up ice well um but i don't take him out of the lineup i don't think that anderson should have gotten in in favor of ferraro but i probably would put yurko in there um honestly like shayan is he's out there working hard but yeah i, I think he's been kind of underwhelming so I'm, I'm hoping that this adjustment to where he's with Tatar and Nyquist gives them that that kind of boost because honestly I think Tatar is taking a lot of crap and, and one of the problems he's got is he's got five games played he's got five shots on goal that's not good enough he's got to get the puck on the net more often and right now he's mm-hmm. doing that that really frustrating t- Thomas Tatar just trying to give it one extra little dangle to make it perfect rather than just being the the annoying water bug shooting from any angle and and coming back in and, and kind of jumping at people that are bigger than he is, just take the puck away from him. And um, he's just a little bit off in doing that. And I don't know how much of that is the effect of just not being comfortable with Richards and how much it's just screw it. It's only five games into the season. Sometimes 
we've seen him go through this stuff for for five and more games. Right. So, I mean, shit just happens. But yeah, they've they've got to get something kickstarted. I think this should work. Um, it's kind of it worked. It's before. kind of a, yeah. A lot of people are are mentioning this comparison, and I'm I'm really uncomfortable saying it. But if you think about the guy who assisted on Tamu Polkinen's first career NHL goal. It was an older center who had been signed as a free agent and was kind of disappointing. So maybe uh, poking in on on Richard's wing works out. Quite frankly, I just it. it <laughs> the only thing that's really annoyed me with all the the roster the lineup decisions is just Anderson getting in, which you briefly mentioned. I'd rather see Ferro or Yurko in there. Uh, I agree. You know. Your go sitting, or if eventually Polkinen sits, or someone, you know, it, it it's a nice problem to have in the idea that there's a lot more depth on this team. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be an even nicer problem to have when Datsuk comes back because then it's like, oh shit, well, you can keep Datsuk and Zetterberg apart if that Zetterberg Larkin line is clicking and the rosterbation lineup ideas can go anywhere. I think, you know, Datsuk back would help Tatar a little bit because, you know, they, they're friends and they played well together last year. They sure uh, did. So I, it's 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 nice to see uh, having depth. It would be nicer if they were winning games too. Um, that'll change. They'll, they'll sweep this week, I'm sure. Uh, DeKaiser, though, JJ, just seeing him back first first game, what, what were your initial thoughts? I thought he was uh, in the loss to Montreal, uh, essentially almost invisible and that's a very good thing like because that was a game especially the third period where there were just so many defensive mistakes um the fact that i don't remember de kaiser making any is is telling about, about how his skill and i think that he'll he'll get more comfortable he'll get more into it um because i thought that he was he did well moving the puck up to the the first layer of forwards trying to get breakouts, but he wasn't really joining the rush too much, and you could tell he was maybe a little a little bit behind. But like I said, I thought he played incredibly solid. Um, I was really happy with him. Yeah, I didn't really notice him at all, and I, I agree with you in that. That that's probably a good thing. I I think that he's probably just got to shake the cobwebs off. Uh, he hasn't, you know, his first game of the season, um, coming off of an, an injury. Uh, you know, we gotta just we gotta believe. We gotta believe that that. Uh, that pairing at some point is going to be our mainstay. So, um, you know, I, and I, you know, the thing is, is that I feel the same way about green. A lot of the times is that I don't notice him as much. And that's probably a good thing. While a lot of people would probably complain about that. Um, I think that's probably a good thing. Um, but you know, like I said, it's only five games, so we're going to just chill out. You know, it's not the end of the world yet. Um, and even if the Red Wings, I mean, if the Red Wings didn't make the playoffs this year, would it be the end of the world? Yeah, it would be. Okay, well, you guys are stupid. <laughs> That's false. No, yeah. no. Demonstrably I, false. I'm all about that good draft pick. Uh, speaking of good draft picks, the Red Wings, they, they've drafted this guy named Vili Sariarvi. Sorry, Jarvi. Sorry, Jarvi. It's whatever. He just needs to be really good, and he's playing really well. And Michelle's going to tell us all about him and the Flint F- Firebirds, the former Plymouth Whalers, in our prospects report. It's 
four games into the season and the Griffins are still looking for their first win. This last weekend, they played a pair of home games against the San Antonio Rampage, losing Friday night by a score of 3-2 and getting shut out at home on Saturday 4-0. While losing four games is far from panic time, it's still been very frustrating to watch because this team, by every rights, should be much better. They should be able to put up more offense than just four goals in four games. But it's not clicking, it's not working yet, and it's kind of hard to watch when you, you know we're used to seeing the Griffins be so dominant and so good and then to watch them struggle. I'm used to watching this team make plays and passes with surgical precision that are beautiful to watch. To make passes between four different players just tape to tape so quickly that the other team doesn't even have time to respond. That's what I'm used to seeing from this team and I'm not seeing that so far. So far they look slow, they look sluggish, they look like they're always a half a step behind and it is kicking their butt. Speed and reaction time seems to be the biggest thing holding this team back. They're having to take the extra few seconds to think and process and get everything going, whereas previously it would just be a reflexive action, something that they could do without even thinking about it. They just get out there and go, and they knew where the other players were on the ice, they knew what they needed to do, and they were able to execute it quickly and nearly flawlessly. This tells me that the change in coach and coaching staff is having a big impact on the team and the players. What Coach Nelson is asking them to do isn't coming naturally. It's different enough from what Blashill had them doing that they're struggling to adapt and execute quickly enough for it to be effective. The significant impact of coaching change is kind of twofold. There's the systems and execution side of it that what does Nelson want them to do and how is he asking them to do it? For any player or any team, that's going to take some time for them to figure out. It's going to take time to be able to execute something new as seamlessly, smoothly, and efficiently as you did something that you've done for a couple years. Completely understandable that that's going to take some time. But perhaps the more frustrating part is player usage. How Nelson is using the players, what lines he's putting them on, who's getting power play, penalty kill, who's in the lineup, and who's not. Now typically when you're not winning games, even though you're playing decent, what you would do as a coach is maybe rely a little more heavily on your top couple lines. You might look at players like Anthony Mantha, Tomas Nosek, Andreas Athanasiu, Andy Mealy, Mark Zangerly, Tyler Bertuzzi, those guys, give them more ice time, let them do their thing. Those are going to be your best players. Those are your players who are going to get you the most goals, who are going to generate the most offense. They're your quickest players. They're your most skilled. But instead of relying on them more and trusting them to do what they can do, the more time goes on, even in a game, Nelson keeps switching his lines up. When things aren't going great, you're not scoring goals, you're not winning the game, you're looking for a shakeup, what does he do? He pulls Eric Tangrady off a lower line, puts him on the top line to be a winger with Anthony Mantha and Andy Mealy. That is not going to get you the change that you need. Putting Eric Tangrady on the penalty kill isn't going to spark something or get something going. Putting Eric Tangrady on the power play and taking Tomasz Nozek off is not going to fix anything. That, to me, is going to do more harm than good. It's frustrating to watch because it's not going to solve the problem. And I also can't help but wonder what that does to the players. I've mentioned before that Nelson puts more of a priority on having a tough guy or tough guys in the lineup. He says he doesn't want his players to be hearing footsteps behind them or having to worry about being taken advantage of. But so far, it feels like he is elevating those players too much and putting more priority and emphasis on being a tough guy and going out and dropping the gloves or hitting people a lot. 
putting more of a priority on that than the players who are going to score goals and win you games. The players who need development, the players who are actually going to make it to the NHL. That's incredibly frustrating to watch. Seeing this trend so far through four games, I can't help but wonder, what happens when Danny Cleary gets to Grand Rapids on Tuesday? He's going to be in the lineup, right? What happens when Tristan Grant comes off injured reserve and is able to play? Are you going to have like five guys in your team who you really aren't expecting to contribute much offensively? This is a developmental league. That's what the Red Wings need from this team. And I'm trying not to pass too much judgment too soon because it is still really early in the season. But so far, it's very frustrating and discouraging to watch because I feel like there are guys, you know, Merrick Tavern's a healthy scratch. Martin Ferg's a healthy scratch. Zach Nastasiak just got into his first game on Saturday. He was a healthy scratch. But you definitely have to have Eric Tangrady and Colin Campbell in the lineup. Is this going to become Cleary's in the lineup ahead of everybody else too? And what happens when Tristan Grant comes back? Is it going to be he's in the lineup and another one of the Red Wings prospects? sits? God, I hope not. The encouraging part through all of this is that despite not having a win yet, the team actually has played pretty good. There are some players who have played very well despite not actually getting goals to show for it. Anthony Mantha continues to play well. He's choosing his spots better on the ice and knowing where to go ahead of time so he's not constantly chasing play. He's getting more comfortable with using his size to go into corners after the puck, to hit people, to win puck battles. He's just he looks more confident he looks stronger and he continues to play well Andreas Athanasiu continues to be what we expect him to be I feel like he's not getting the opportunities yet to really use his speed and skill and I can't tell if the opportunities just aren't coming or if what Nelson wants him to do is stifling some of that because the entire speed that the team is playing is slower I really hope that Athanasiu the CU's speed is not going to be stifled, that it's not going to be squelched, and that he won't be able to use it to its fullest potential. Tomas knows it continues to be good despite being on the third line and having crap line mates. He's constantly getting juggled around, has very little consistency in line mates, but continues to be a forceful presence on the ice and continues to try and generate offense while being a staple on the penalty kill and being very good defensively as well. So far, Tyler Bertuzzi hasn't been the Bertuzzi that we've come to expect, and I kind of think that Nelson is putting him in a role to be more of a tough guy and maybe not giving him the opportunities to unleash his offense as much as Blashill did. Could just be because it's early in the season, they're still working things out, definitely going to keep an eye on it, but I really hope that's not what happens. Nick Jensen has been a stud on the back end. Defensively, he has been rock solid. He's on the power play, he's on the penalty kill, he's trying to generate offense as well, but doing it very smartly. He's been paired with Nathan Pache, those two have been fantastic. Uh, Xavier Willette has also been very good. Uh, since getting sent down. He's jumping up into the offense more. He's back with Ryan Sproul, so we have the Sproulette pairing back together. In the game on Friday night, those two had six shots on goal apiece, just trying literally anything to get offense going. 
Ryan Sproul has been better than I expected. When Alexei Marchenko got sent back down, it was Robbie Russo that sat both games. Sproul stayed in, uh, again paired with Xavier Ouellette. He still makes stupid mistakes sometimes, and I just want to scream his name and pull my hair out, but he's been better and continues to get better. Um, so I'm hopeful that maybe something good will happen, even though, I mean, he's obviously so far down the depth chart at this point on defense for the wings that I, I really don't know what they're going to do with him. In prospects news outside of Grand Rapids, Vili Sarajarvi continues to kick some serious butt for the Flint Firebirds. Last Friday night, he scored his first two goals of the season, both on the power play, and added another assist to his collection. He now has 13 points in nine games. He's taking shots like a madman. He has 32 shots in nine games. For a defenseman, that's a lot. And he's only picked up two minor penalties. He was the first star of the game, and he's now seventh in OHL scoring among all players and leads all defensemen in scoring. He also leads his team in points and plus minus. This kid is the real deal, and he's just beginning in the OHL. In the QMJHL, Adam Marsh is heating up a little bit. He has two goals in his last two games, and he's now up to six points in nine games. He's sixth on his team in points and fifth in power play goals on the team. Center Evgeny Svechnikov struggled a little bit after coming back from his suspension, but on Sunday night, he registered two goals and an assist in his team's 5-2 win and was the first star of the game. He's now third on his team in scoring, has nine points, five goals, four assists in eight games, and he's 50% on faceoffs. In the WHL, Joe Hicketts continues his point-per-game pace. He's got 10 assists in 10 games. He's ninth in Western Hockey League scoring and first on his team. Center Dominic Turgeon had a good week, picking up a goal and an assist in two of his three games for a total of four points in three games. He's now up to six points in eight games, and he's third on his team in points and has two of his team's six power play goals. He started off slow offensively, even though he was as defensively responsible as ever. But in the last four games, he started to really pick up his offense. And watching him, even though the points weren't coming at first, he was doing everything but scoring. He's constantly out on the ice and was doing everything right, getting chances they just weren't going in. So it's nice to see them start going in for him and to see his offense pick up, because that's one of his big goals this year, is to increase his offense and show that he can be more than just, just, quote-unquote, a uh, defensively responsible shutdown center. In the BCHL, goalie Chase Perry played three of the Wenatchee Wild's four games last week. He had one win and two losses, but even in one of the losses was second star of the game. He's played 11 of his team's 13 games. He has a 2.10 goals against and a .911 save percentage and a 7-3-0-1 record. Over in Sweden, Christopher N. picked up two more points in three games, and he now has five points in 13 games and is 45.3% on faceoffs. He's averaging about 10 minutes a game and is playing either fourth-line center or fourth-line wing. In one of the games that he scored a goal, he was actually listed as the extra forward on the roster. In two games last week, Axel Holmstrom had an assist in 12 penalty minutes. The 12 penalty minutes are a result of a two-minute minor for checking from behind that was also accompanied by a game misconduct. I couldn't find video of the hit to see how bad it was, so I don't know that yet. In the Finnish league, Julius Atalo picked up two goals in three games, and he's now up to three points in ten games. 
Since coming back from a couple games loan on the U-20 team, he's had two points in two games and is taking more shots. Looks like it could have been good for him. In the KHL, after not playing for six of seven games, Alexander Kadekin is finally playing again, and he picked up his first assist. In the NCAA, defenseman James DeHaas picked up another assist and continues his point-per-game pace. He now has four points in four games, all assists, has taken 13 shots, and is a minus two. Here's a fun little tidbit for you. Outside of Grand Rapids and Toledo, the Red Wings have five prospects who are at a point-per-game pace or better. Out of those five prospects, three are defensemen. Billy Sarajarvi is at a 1.44 points-per-game pace. Joe Hicketts and James DeHaas are both at a point-per-game pace. And Julius Fatalo is at 1.38 points per game. And Evgeny Svechnikov is at 1.13 points per game. And that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. Well, as always, thank you, Michelle, for that awesome report. Kicking ass as usual. Uh, JJ, it's your turn now to give us some reader questions from the mailbag. Let's do this. We'll start off with the very first question from Vito Lambruski. Uh, How long do Brad Richards and Mike Green need to integrate before we start getting concerned with their lack of of production? (sighs) Um, As long as it takes. I mean... and the, the, the people need to understand we didn't go out and sign two all stars like you know it, we didn't sign Eric Carlson and uh, you know like like Sean Monahan we 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 signed um, <laughs> we signed Mike Green and Brad Richards Mike Green is a good defenseman you know he has sco- he scored over forty points last season um, I I don't think it's going to be you know it, it, just to put things into perspective for you who's our most scoring defenseman right now it's Kyle Quincy. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's just, it, it, it's five games. You, you have to give it time. So, I mean, if you really want a concrete answer, then um, if you want to start getting worried uh, about a player's production, um, then I guess uh, worry about Mike Green in November if he only has like 10 points or like five points or something. Um, yeah, I'm, I would be less worried about Richards too, just because eventually, once Datsu gets back, I, I see him moving into like a third line center role. Right. And JJ already talked about how he just he seems slow. He's still a smart hockey player, but he's lost his step. So it's yeah, he's a depth guy at this point. I'm not expecting him to be leading the team in scoring. And he's only on a one year contract. Right. You know, with, with Green, we've got him for another you know two years after this. So um, you know, <laughs> let's just uh, let, I know we have had some bad luck with with free agent signings but um let's just uh let's let's trust the process here um this is the first time we've had a defenseman like this in a very uh long time so um it's gonna it like i said before earlier in the show it's gonna be some growing pains um and uh i trust in mike green i know what he's capable of uh he's gonna get the opportunities he's a smart hockey player i'm not saying he's he's a good hockey player so um we don't need to get worried about him we need to be worried about the team before we need to be worried about in individual players, I think. And that's just my opinion there. You worry about Mike Green. Let me worry about Blank. Um, yeah. I think that Mike Green is very good. I think that Mike Green is uh, currently not, still kind of adjusting and not exactly being used as Mike Green of old. Uh, like He's quarterbacking the second power play unit, and the power play has been uh, hot garbage, and the second power play unit especially has not looked good. Currently, I am more concerned that Nicholas Cronwall has played five games and has zero shots on goal. Yeah, that's um, bad. That's so. I'll I'll worry about Mike Green. Um, maybe at the ten game mark, I'll I'll start uh, really getting worried. 
but um, no, I, I think that, that Green is, is doing a, a fine job so far, and I've said lots about Richards. Um, what do we think about the McDavid hit on Oduya? I don't give a shit, but um, I <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, it was it was a bad hit, but I don't think he. Why would he get suspended? He's a rookie. I mean, he's just. I don't think it, Connor. When I think about Connor McDavid, I don't think that Connor McDavid is going to hit Johnny Oduya like that because he's trying to hurt him. I think it's honestly just a 18 year old who is just doesn't know and uh, is fast and had a lot of momentum and didn't really alter it that well. So, yeah, I, th- I think you've got to punish for for recklessness. You know, I know he didn't like try to hurt him, but it was a stupid, stupid hit. Um, Patrick Burke apparently went on uh, Reddit and explained that the part of the rule book about boarding is it matters how hard he hits the board. No, do you oh, you, do, you didn't hit the board very well. I think it's a mm-hmm. cop-out chicken shit answer, honestly. Um, the concept is basically the guy didn't get hurt, so we don't care. Whoop-de-doo! Uh, if you're going to call yourself player safety, I don't think you can just say, well, you're only going to get in trouble if you accidentally hurt somebody. It's not the end of the world. I just think it's the wrong decision. I, I, I mean, I, I guess that's a good point, but uh, I think if the, if the league were to do anything that would send a, a, a message, you know, obviously with, uh, with McDavid, it, it probably should have just been like a, a, a you know, like a, a fine. Uh, yeah, they could have at least said, hey, we give him a phone call. I said, don't do that again. You idiot, you dumbass, 18-year-old Canadian moron. Like, yeah, that probably would have been good. Or maybe um, make, make them send him down to uh, wherever. Acharya, our <laughs> uh, pocket, uh, our, our closet Red Wings fan who yeah. also claims to, who writes for the Leafs and also loves the Bolts, even though we know that she loves the Red Wings most, is a quesadilla a cheese sandwich? What? No. I mean... Wait, yeah. you're the hot dog. Is the sandwich? Yeah, guy. no, but quesadilla is not. Is it a? Would it be a panini? Okay, so let's go ahead. Let's go ahead yes. and talk to this right now. I mean, it, it, do you consider a tortilla a piece of bread? Yes. Okay, so in that, in okay, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying so. A burrito is a sandwich. It's a wrap. No, it's rolled. Okay. Shut up. A a a a a wrap is a sandwich at that point. No, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Okay, so if I took a hot dog and I wrapped it in a piece of bread, you got a hot dog. And what is a hot dog? Not a sandwich. It's a hot dog. You're full of shit, and you sit on a throne of lies. And I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> I mean, you can't say that a, that a hot dog is a sandwich, and then say that a quesadilla is not. If you're going to be that inclusive horseshit, technicality, bull, semantics, fuckwit if stuff, the, you cannot say whatever. Pizza is a sandwich to you. <laughs> if there's any king of technicalities, it is JJ. Pizza you know. is a sandwich to you, cretins. You're wrong. Pizza's not a sandwich. Quesadilla's not a sandwich. Hot dog's not a sandwich. That's just No, you're right there, Jeff. If you're saying a hot dog's not a sandwich, you're right. But if you're saying a hot dog is a sandwich, you have to be saying pizza is a sandwich. You have to say a quesadilla is a sandwich. And you know what? That's just bullshit. Because What's a calzone? I'm gonna, a calzone it's a sandwich? also a sandwich. It that's ruins a, that's the language. A, that's a sandwich. Everything's a fucking sandwich. No, like, if you think about it, like... Where do we live? We live in America. We live in Canada, most of us. And you know what's cool is that we're all free and we can say whatever we want. If we want to say is this, this a banana is a sandwich because essentially it's wrapped in something. So, yeah, I yeah, think a banana is a sandwich. You're free, well, to, you're free to say, hey, where are you from? I'm from Earth. Okay, asshole. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what we, what we pulled from that question is that a banana is a sandwich and, a, and so is a quesadilla. No, neither. Is a Samora sandwich? Yes. It's a dessert sandwich. No, it's a sandwich. It's just a sandwich. Next question. <laughs> <sighs> I hate you guys. Um, 
E. Dubnez, once pass return, do you think it would be more beneficial to keep the fourth line as a grinding type, or do you want to go kind of with a more scoring kind of... Skill, 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 skill. I will always go skill everywhere, so that's just me. If, if, I could, if I could make my decision right now, three of the guys that are on this, three players on this team would probably be sent down. Like right now, I would have Thomas Nosek as my fourth line center. I would have Andreas Athanasiu as my fourth line winger. And um, the other winger, I don't know, I guess if you, if you had, it, yeah, it would be your go. I mean, you would have a skill, a skill line and you would essentially be having, you know, I mean, the Red Wings have three skill lines right now, but the way they've been playing, it really hasn't looked like it. But they should have it. They should have one. But yeah, I mean, if that's if I had my my choice, uh, yeah, I would definitely not have. Yeah, the argument for having the grinders out there is, well, you gotta have somebody kill penalties. My answer to that is, let's have the penalty kill. Try to score goals. Right. Everybody should try to score goals. The point of hockey is to score goals. So do that. Just put Yurko out there, who's actually a pretty good penalty killer, and just say, okay, you take the puck from them and right. you go put it behind their goalie. Uh, who, yeah. It doesn't matter that you are down a teammate because they're going to be too aggressive and you're going to take advantage of that. And right. if you let up a few more goals, who cares? We'll just outscore that. And who is to say that a guy like Thomas Nosek wouldn't be a good penalty killer? He kills penalties already. I mean, and the same with SNSU. He's fast. I mean, when you have, I mean, that's essentially what made Darren Helms such a great penalty killer because he's so freaking fast and he just would, you know, and, and, you know, what happened to the, the mindset of, hey, skill players can play on the penalty kill too. It's not just plugs. Um, I think that that has been lost in translation and, uh, it's annoying. <laughs> it really is. I mean, no offense against like you know players like Drew Miller, who honestly are really great penalty killers uh, and have made a role for themselves on this team doing that. But uh, aside from that, there's nothing else they can offer besides really good looks. Harsh but true. Uh, Levasp wants to know why they hate for Kindle. Do we hate because he's not Brendan Smith? Why? I mean, I don't hate. I didn't say love. I think Kindle hasn't. I mean, I don't. He hasn't looked bad, but I mean, he hasn't wowed me uh, at this point. I mean, any player. I mean, it could be Kindle or it could be Smith. Could be scratched, and I'd just be like, whatever. I mean, I think that both players have gotten a lot of uh, 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 crap so far this season. More so Smith, and um, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I just. I guess I don't understand it. But I, I haven't hated on Kindle yet. The only. I, when I think about a defenseman that I've truly hated on so far, like who I've complained about so far, it's been Cronwell. And that's because he has zero shots. As a number one defenseman, that is absolutely 100% unacceptable. You can't do that. It, it, that that's not okay. So I'm pretty sure you've said things about Erickson that I can't. Oh, well, I, I, always, I, always, I always say things about Erickson. I mean, you should... here's what the Red Wings defense has done to the fans. We have our golden boy, Danny DeKaiser, who can do mm-hmm. no wrong, who actually lives up to that very well. He does make mistakes, but yeah. for the most part, people love him. He's great. We have Mike Green, who's still a shiny new toy, and so even though he's made some mistakes, we're all pretty happy with him. Right. We got Cronwall as the old standard that still gets away with it, although we're starting to notice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Erickson is going to have to play Norris caliber for half a season at least before people stop shitting on him all the time. Brendan Smith would need to change his name and identity for people to stop hating on him. Uh, Jakob Kindle is kind of in the same boat as uh, we're just all tired of waiting for the people to to, to show. Uh, yeah. Jakob Kindle was a first round pick, so yeah. I've been happy. I've been okay with his play. I haven't been happy with it. Right. Um, I mean, it is what it is. They're going to go play the same game regardless of whether or not everybody uh, conceptually hates them. So who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, just get over it and watch the game. Here's a good question for you guys. And I, I mean, this is something to think about. Um, how old is Andy Kaiser now? Is he 26? Yes. Sure. Let's say he's 25, 26 years old. 20, let's say he's even 27. He's probably at the point where he should be the number one guy. He should be the guy. Like he should, they should be seasoning him to be numero uno. Turn twenty five um, in March. Okay, so he's still very young. Um, and forgive me for not knowing names or uh, num- numbers and ages off the top of my head. I'm a very bad fan. Um, uh, he should probably be well into the process of being seasoned into a number one defenseman at this point. And I think that is something that the Red Wings might need to kind of take notice of right now. Is that um. We have yeah. a kid who should probably be playing top line minutes, regardless. So um, I don't think he's going to give him a choice anyway. He's just going to play so well that he's always going to get the top. Yeah. Um, moving on, old man hockey has probably what I think is uh, my favorite question of this whole uh, segment. Um, should we be concerned that Dylan Larkin doesn't actually wear his mar- mouth guard in open play? He's got that thing out and he's chewing on it all the time. Oh yeah. Um, he posted a picture of where Larkin and Polkinen ran into each other and fell down, and Larkin's got the thing halfway out. Um, I mean, he's our, our golden child. We want to wrap him up in bubble wrap and keep him safe and, and hurt anybody who might harm him, but that anybody who might harm him might be himself. Uh, I, can we pull him aside and, and just shove that mouth guard into him correctly, or is that going to make him play worse because it's just going to make him uncomfortable? Um, he probably doesn't even know he's doing it. Just, yeah, it might just be habit. And um, on the ice, it, it never. Patrick Kane has never had any issues because he chews on his mouth guard. So. A lot of players chew on their mouth guard. I mean, a lot of players do that. Uh, I kind of want to see Franz and rip it out of his mouth and practice, though. <laughs> that would, <laughs> it probably will. Yeah, if he, if he practiced, that would be really funny, and I actually I, I would love that. But um, uh, I'm not worried about it. I Honestly, I've noticed him always chewing on his mouth guard, but I've never really been like, ooh, that kid should not... Honestly, he's probably been doing it since he started playing hockey. Um, and... I mean, it seems like such a nitpicky thing to, like, go after. Like, hey, keep your mouth guard in. You're 19 years old. You're a pro. You're getting paid just under a million dollars. Like, whatever. Um, I think that Larkin, and it sounds really messed up to say this, but the first, like, because granted, he's only, he hasn't taken, like, a big soul-shattering hit yet. When he does, I think maybe that'll change. Um, I know he took one kind of big hit i can't remember which game it was but he took one like semi quasi big hit um and like for a second i was like <gasps> like everything stopped around me but um i i think that he'll learn um but with the kind of player that larkin is uh if we want to get you know nervous about that i'll just counter with well nobody can catch him so who the hell cares there we go um Nozaro, uh, I figured we would already talk about the badly outshot thing, which was very smart. Nozaro, good job. Um, <laughs> the one question he's got is, we've got NHL-capable defensemen in Grand Rapids right now, Marchenko and Ouellette, um, who are already familiar with Blashill's system. Mm-hmm. Would they help? I think they would help. Um, 
I don't, I mean, honestly, guys, I don't know if they'd make it better. Because, uh, like, right now, you've got Cronwall Erickson, you've got uh, DeKaiser Green. Right. You've got Quincy Kindle on your third pair. Do you put Marchenko and Ouellette in for two of them? Do you just replace Kindle? Do you, I mean, obviously, everybody who says pull Erickson, but they're not going to do that. No, they're they not pulling can't. anybody in the top four right now. So, no. and I don't think they're going to sit Quincy in favor of Marchenko or Ouellette. So. No, they're not going to. Um, and, and, and with that, I mean, it's just like Kindle and Smith, they're not great players. Um, they they're very lackluster players, but do I think that. Marchenko or Ouellette are better. The only reason I say yes is because Marchenko is a right-hand shot, and I think Ouellette is probably a, a better skater and a better two-way player, um, which obviously can have a lot of uh, um, effect on, on on shot suppression and, and, and shot generation, but uh, and shot generating, I should say. Um, but I, I don't think that it's going to make like a huge noticeable difference. I don't think it's going to change the team like, you know, like we're going to be, you know, like some powerhouse, some possession powerhouse because we changed our uh, third pairing defenseman. I don't know if that's going to really fix anything. So um, I want them on the team. Ideally, I would have an Xavier Ouellette and uh, uh, Alexi Marchenko third pair right now, but that's not a reality and it won't be. I don't even think it'll, it will be next year. So what do you think, Jeff? Yeah, it's too early. Yeah, Brennan Smith is trash. Just get over it. <laughs> Before you, see, you know, let's let's see how they do the next month or so. I want all the players to do well, but I just don't think. That's I don't want all the players to do well, but no. Well, I mean, in the past, I wanted to see Michael Samuelson get hit by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I've never wanted that. I just wanted him that's, to, that's to get on a. I wanted him to get on a bus. Well, it's a metaphorical bus. The bus is just like Dustin Bufflin. Ah, he does hit hard. Yes, like a bus. All right. JLA 1991, Howard question. Does the loss to Carolina hurt Howard's chances at winning the battle for the starter? Well, does the loss to Montreal hurt the Mrazics? No, it doesn't. I mean, Mrazic had a great game against... Um, I mean, he had a really good game against uh, uh, Montreal. I don't think he had, like, you know, he obviously got the loss, but it, it's the same thing with Howard. You know, he played a decent game against Carolina. The team is getting outshot right now. The goalie is basically getting no help. And in that game where Howard played, uh, more so in the Montreal game, he was getting left out to dry. He really was. And it was like it was painful to watch. And it was painful to sit on Twitter and listen to people talk about it because it's just like, I I mean it's not like the the same old Jimmy Howard. It's Jimmy, it is the same old Red Wings, like just leaving him out to dry. He doesn't have they were not clearing rebounds. Yes, he lets up rebounds. Every goalie lets up rebounds. Maybe he lets them up a little bit more. But you know what? He that team in front of him was not clearing those. They were not clearing doing shit to clear those rebounds, and it was pissing me off more than uh, him letting in however many goals. So um, if you want to complain about uh, someone losing their starting job because one loss uh, after a team would not clear the re- clear rebounds out in front of him, then I mean, good luck with that because. You know, every goalie does it. Not everybody is Carey Price, you know, and absorbs the puck and is some ridiculous alien uh, goaltender from, you know, another world. So just whatever. That's just me. All right. Um, McDangles wants us to uh, maybe discuss exactly how Blaschel's system uh, varies from uh, Babcock's and how, how exactly it works. Sounds like a JJ question. <laughs> yeah, JJ, why don't you go ahead and take that one? 
I, there's two kind of things that I've, I've noticed, and I wish I had the ability to like pinpoint them exactly when they happen, but I don't. The first one was in the Toronto game, where the puck is below the goal line in Toronto's zone, and all three forwards are aggressively forechecking. One of them is still the high guy. I think there's one guy that's covering the outlet behind the net. There's one guy that's actually battling in the corner, and there's another guy who is like at the bottom of the circle, like helping out with a board battle. And it comes around, and you can see the full picture of the zone and Kindle and Smith are on the ice and both of them are below the tops of the circle in the offensive zone. All 10 skaters on the ice are below the tops of the circle in the Toronto zone. Toronto actually got the puck up to a guy to start skating out and Kindle was all over him immediately with a guy skating back to, to cover up and I don't believe they ended up keeping the zone that time, but Toronto had to slowly dump it out and give up possession. That allowed the Red Wings to recollect it and take it right back in the zone. Um, I don't think I ever saw both defensemen get that low under uh, under Babcock. Another thing is, if you'll remember the uh, the breakdown of that Zetterberg goal that, that Larkin scored, where he fed mm-hmm. it to the middle, um, the play right after the, uh, the Quincy... Quincy floats it in on Abdelkader, uh, tips it on net, and Bishop kicks it out to uh, the corner where, where Zetterberg picks it up again. He dangles around, he turns, and he feeds it to Brendan Smith, making that cut in. That cut in from the from the top didn't happen very often. It's something that we should expect to happen more often under Blashell because that's that's kind of the kind of thing that happens. It's a lot more of the defenseman carrying the play carrying the puck into the zone and taking it down low and waiting and having the the forwards jump back on the. Mm-hmm. Uh, breakout side of it, there is still a lot of essentially there is one pursuit defenseman and one guy who's supposed to stay in the in at the net front um, until if unless they can get it with the puck behind the net, in which case one guy is supposed to go to the corner and then they kind of set the breakout from there. Um, the difference is if the defensemen have to chase a guy up halfway up the the, feet, the ice and then they get it, the defensemen are supposed to jump up in the center's place and and start that rush immediately as opposed to uh to kind of waiting that out well said i agree is that the last question we have no i just coughed my head off right there okay um you guys want to do an fmk uh, sure yeah we'll do it we've done that in a while okay larkin oh, wow. mcdavid eichel okay um i'm gonna go first uh i think mary is obvious that'll be uh larkin F, I got mine. F is uh, that's that's Eichel. No, oh, yeah, it's Eichel. And K can like it's McDavid, but it's just it's not because of McDavid. It's because of the Oilers. It's not because McDavid deserves it. It's because the Oilers don't deserve another one of these players. Like I hate them so much. I I low key hate them more than any organization just because of that. Like how many? And you know what's funny? Is they're probably going to be a bottom feeder this year, and they're probably going to get a top two pick this year and again. And get Austin Matthews. Uh, it's simple. Obviously, you marry Larkin because he's Red Wing, and you want to be with him forever. Uh, you kill McDavid because he's the only Canadian of the three, and uh, you f Eichel because he's the only one left. Uh, two uh, agreeing answers. And both of you are wrong. The correct answer is, of course you married Larkin, because Jeff nailed it there. Um, <laughs> yeah, F. McDavid, he's he's more fun. Um, you know, the one-night stand. And then you kill Eichel because you're a Red Wings fan, and Eichel is in your division. Yeah, blame Canada. But see, I, I, Buffalo is going to be bad again, so who cares? 
but so could the Red Wings, so I don't know anything. Whatever. Okay, let's jump ahead. We'll do this quick because we're getting long on time here. Uh, week ahead, Edmonton on Friday, Calgary on fr- or excuse me, Edmonton on Wednesday, Calgary on Friday, Vancouver on Saturday. All on the road. What are your expectations for this week? I expect win every, a win every game. Statement game against Edmonton, like yeah. one of the like a lot like the win against Toronto, where we just dominate them whistle to whistle. I think Calgary will be a fight that will come down to a big save against Yuri Hoodler right before time expires to keep it mm-hmm. from going to overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Vancouver, I think we go to three on three and then embarrass the old, slow, bad Sedins. I expect them to win. I'm going all homer here. Three and oh, blame Canada. Sticking with that theme. I like it. I like it a lot, actually. I think it's really good. Speaking of really good, this has been really good. You guys are really good. Thanks. Uh, do you have any final hockey-related thoughts before we say goodbye? Um, I yeah, I got a I got a final hockey-related thought for you right here. Uh, Dylan Larkin is going to be a Red Wing for eighty-two games this season. All right, JJ. <laughs> I was at Subway today and I saw a guy get a foot-long meatball marinara sub. Uh, hold the meatballs, so it's just marinara sauce. And then literally all, the only other things he got on was a shitload of mayonnaise, a bunch of vinegar, a little bit of oil, and some black olives. Fuck that guy. And then he disowned his son for getting tomatoes on his sandwich. So it was the most disgusting lunch thing I've seen in a long time. That is not not hockey related, related, but but I don't care. I, I wanted to share my pain with everybody out there listening. That is disgusting. And if you do that, um, don't talk to me or get near me ever. That is the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. Marinara and mayonnaise sandwich, basically, with vinegar. I want to scream. That's like the Michael Samuelson of sandwiches. That's Or the Dan Cleary of sandwiches. That might be worse. Hey, Dan Cleary's going to Grand Rapids on Tuesday, asshole. Yay! Uh, We didn't even talk about that. (laughs) Who cares? He's been stealing money. Fuck that guy. Can you imagine, like... Oh, petrello has been on that, like, his salary and whatnot. He made, like, $60,000 refusing to report to to Grand Rapids. So Fleischman. Fleischman gets paid less than him. Thomas Fleischman. So I, I got nothing else. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Tell everyone goodbye. 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 We'll see you next time. Bye. Hey uh Hello. There's no beep this time. Like we're in it. In it. We're in it.